then begin to speak in their language with We have come to draw, 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 draw from you again, again. We have come to draw, draw, draw. shall be fruitful to the glory and honor of your mighty and holy name for these and many more blessings we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. AGCM and AGCM in the heat of the day and in the cool of the night. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 8. When you get there, please stand up and read from verse 1 to 3. There is, there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of the... For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made them free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned in the flesh. Amen. 
So this evening, I'll be talking to you about the person of the Holy Spirit and life in the Holy Spirit. So the verse 1 to 3 talks about salvation. Sometimes I'm surprised people don't know this, but actually people don't know this. You are not saved by the works you do. You are saved by the grace of God. Can someone else open to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 very quickly? Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. First of all, salvation is not end. It is a gift of God. It is free. Arisha, please, can you read it again? There is therefore no condemn. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made them free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned in the flesh. Amen. So I want you, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. From the day that you accepted the Lord Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Whether you see him manifesting himself in you or not, as a believer, you should know that the Holy Spirit is in you. Let's continue, verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 to 7. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it can be. I'm taking it again. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Amen. Amen. So verse 4 to 6 is talking about a sinful nature. So the nature of a thing is what is inherently is in it. So it's natural for it to do that. It's natural for dogs to bark. It's natural for dogs to, for cats, sorry, to it's natural for cats to smell. The same way it's in our nature. It's in our nature to sin. It's part of who we are. But then We have the Spirit of God in us. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, you shouldn't let the devil deceive you that you are not what you are. We think that because a sinful nature, yes, a sinful nature pulls us toward sinning, that this is who we are, but this is not. The day you accepted Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you, say, you ceased to live in the flesh, but you started to live in the spirit. Some people think that there are too many restrictions in the body of Christ. Let me say it that way. That in the world, there's more freedom. And this week, we were learning something called the state of nature. 
So imagine a world like this, no rules, no restrictions. There are no governing bodies. So you can steal, you can kill, you can rape, and you go scot-free. So imagine that you live in a chaotic world such as that, <laughs> and you are in your house that you've loved. Will you ever step out of your house unless there's a need, unless you need to go and buy food? Who will step out of their house? They are killing indiscriminately. If you go out, you don't know whether you are coming back. How, how, how willing will you be, be to step out of your house? You wouldn't. That is the same way a sinful nature is. When you are in the world, you may think that you are enjoying, but it's unless you come to the real knowledge of Christ that you see the bondage that you were in. In Christ, there is true freedom, but yes, there is restriction. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And another person to Romans 6, 18. So this scripture is talking, I'm sure you're all familiar with it. The fact that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That every time there's temptation, there's a way out. And Romans chapter 6 verse 18 says that now you are free from slavery to sin because you have become slaves to righteous living. If you see a child about to put their hand in fire, will you hold them back or not? Please, I want to hear you. Are we here? If you see a child drawing their hand near fire, will you pull them back or not? You will. Because it's dangerous. Is that a restriction or not? But is it a good one or a bad one? In the same way, that is how the Holy Spirit restricts us. There's so much freedom and liberty in the Spirit of God that we have yet to uncover or yet to untap but because we are so scared of the restrictions the restrictions which are for our own good we limit ourselves to the power of the holy spirit amen let us continue verse 7 to 11 romans 8 7 to 11 because of the microphones i just read it For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So let me pause here. It says those who are under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. It did not say that God does not love us if you are under your sinful nature. Hebrews 10 verse 19 makes us understand that you should approach the throne of mercy boldly that you shall obtain mercy. So you shall obtain. You shall approach the throne of grace boldly that you obtain mercy. The fact that what you do does not please God does not mean he does not love you. Don't let the devil deceive you that because you made a mistake, you can't come to God. Amen. And continue. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by, your spirit, by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. 
So if you say that you, you are a Christian, but you don't have a Holy, the Holy Spirit, then you are not a Christian. Amen. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So let me give you an example. You have a phone. And maybe it's cracked. So because it's cracked, it doesn't respond immediately to you. Right? You go and throw your phone away. But at that point in time, it's your phone pleasing you. In the same way, Christ is in us. And the Spirit of God is in us. And He yearns to do so much with us. But yet, like, Phones with cracks or unresponsive phones. When he taps, we do not respond. And the problem with that is that Christianity is a faith that does not push you to do things. Jesus said, I put before you today life and death, but I urge you to choose life. No one would force you to have communion with the Holy Spirit. No one can force you to pray. No one can force you to do anything in Christianity that you yourself are not willing to. Otherwise, if it is forced, if it is pushed on you, you'd get to a point that you would stop, and it's not genuine. Amen? But the Spirit of God yearns for us to get to a point where we are not pushed to do things. Amen? Let's continue verse 12 to 17. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are, but if we are to share his glory we must also share his suffering. And this is where people start to shake about the thought of Christianity. How many of you, if you want to get an A in the course, you don't know what you need to do to get it? Or when you go and write an exam, you can't sort of gauge this, the grade you'll be getting? Who can do that here? If you can't, please raise up your hand. It's the free will. But then you know that by what you put in into the course, by what you wrote on the paper, you can estimate the grade that you are going to get. And as you are learning for that paper, and as you are putting in the, the hours into it, is it pleasant all the time? No, it's not. But because of what you want to get at the end, because of what you see, 
you are willing to do that. So why is it so hard to do that for Christianity? Why is it so hard to spend an extra hour in prayer, to spend an extra hour fasting, to spend an extra hour studying the word? But for anything concerning our academic or, let me say, our physical lives, because these are spiritual lives, it's difficult for us to do. If you want to share in the glory of God, you must be willing to share in his sufferings. Amen. So I've been talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So I want us to get a glimpse of who he is. So I'm opening to John chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. If anyone gets there and you can shout, please do. John chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even of truth, the world cannot receive, because it seeth him, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Amen. Amen. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit our advocate, meaning he fights for us. He, and then verse 18 says what? That he will comfort you. He's your comforter. The Holy Spirit has many dimensions to him, which you cannot unlock unless you are willing to. He's a friend, a lover. He's so many things, but then... We've limited him to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we do not even consider him a person, but he is a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. And I was wondering what God wanted me to preach about today. And from the beginning of the day to the very end, it was very clear to me that he wanted me to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because... You can come here, we can go through the motions, we can teach, we can do all the things that seem right. But if you as an individual don't have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, you cannot go. And it's not something that's going to be imparted into you. It's something you yourself must desire. I brought some continuous but we'll get to that later. Please let's continue verse. Sorry, verse 18. Verse, sorry, verse 12 to 17. If you're not ready. Verse 12 to 17. Verily, verily I say unto you, he that on me, the works that I do shall he also do. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. That I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandment. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, and he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be with you. So let's go on verse 18 of Romans chapter 8 till verse 25. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The first word I want to hang in your mind, hope. With eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join with God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of a child, of childbirth, right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope, again, hope. For the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we do not need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we do not yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. When I was younger, there were times that if I asked my mother for something, it was a straight yes and no answer. Can I get this no? So other times it's yes. But there were times she would say, yo, aye. And those times, because it wasn't clear, you had this hope in you that there's a possibility that it might come. So if you want a pen, and you see the pen in, the, in your hand, maybe you want to write something and there's a pen in your hand, are you hoping that you get a pen? No. But if you are sitting there and you don't have a pen, that's when you hope for it, because you don't have it with you. In the same way, in our Christian faith, we have hope. Hope in the promises that God has embedded in his word. Because his word makes us understand that there's a time and season for everything. So there are promises that God has told you that have not come to pass in your life. So do you hope for them? Or have you forgotten everything he said about you? Not just true prophets or men of God, but when you personally study his word, God has so many promises in here for us. His word says the earth is the, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. As his children, that means the inheritance of the earth is ours. Do you believe that word or you're like, oh, the people who are in the world, the people who do these things, they are the ones who inherit it. What is your mindset? Do you believe in what the word of God says or you are so focused on what is around you? Amen. Please let's continue reading from verse 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh inter intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Amen. There's a scripture that says, who can know a man except his spirit? Amen. So when we hear songs like, aye, 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 or ah, those are people who have, what's the word? 
reached a certain level in their communion with the Holy Spirit. At times in prayer or in worship that you cannot even utter a word. But then there is some communication going on that you know within you that it is going on. But then you can't bring it into words. Have you reached that point in your work with the Holy Spirit? And do you even desire to get there? Or where you are now, it's okay for you. Verse 28 to 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did not foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Amen. Amen. How much room does the Holy Spirit have in your life? How much room does the Holy Spirit have in your life? Nancy, please bring the containers for me. little demonstration. So these two containers, um, which one of them do you think can hold more? So what's in her right hand is her right hand is A, what's in her left hand is B. Which one can hold more? A. Amen. So in the same way, the Holy Spirit can only point to you as to how much room you give him. He can't... Yes, we said fill our cup till we overflow, but which one will have a greater overflow? You have to create room for the Holy Spirit. You have to give him room to operate. What comes first in your life? There are many things that are fighting for our attention in this world. But it's your attention on the one who really matters. This word makes us understand that we should seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. That's not just talking about spiritual blessings but physical blessings as well. There are many, many, many great men and women of God who are prosperous spiritually and physically, financially. Reverend Stephen Wingham, Mesa, Reverend Mesa Otabel, Catherine Coleman, Benny Hinn. So, so many people, Rock, Rockefeller, so many people who were rich, all right, but then their first point of contact was God. Sometimes we are like, oh, it's the world that gets all these things. But those people in the world, ask them how they sleep at night. Do they have peace? <laughs> Remember that story in the Bible about the man who was like, oh, I have guarded all these things. Now, the rest of my life, I will not work. I will just enjoy the fruit of my labor. And God said, you foolish man, this evening you will die. Now, you can't carry your possessions with you after you die. You can't carry anything along. But do you believe that as a Christian, 
You can have the peace. You can have the joy. You can have the love and still have the physical blessings. Yes, this is very, very possible. Don't let the world deceive you that if your eyes are on Christ, you will lose out on all those things. But if you truly desire, if you truly, truly desire to go, you must make room for the Holy Spirit. He will not make that room for himself because he will not force himself on you. He is within you, but based on the container that you have, can he manifest himself in that way? Miracles, signs, wonders. Those things still happen and they should be happening more predominantly but the problem is that we've lost focus on, on, on God and it's like it's like we've taken him in small doses oh I'll do this one first and then I'll add God small but then we are deceiving ourselves he says that they raise up their hands and worship me but their hearts are far from me who is the first in your heart Verse 31 to 38. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Please pause there. If, for example, um, Beverly, please come. Judith, please come. Oh, please hold the chocolate. Hold the chocolate. Judith, you know, you're not good. Pauline, please come. So, let's say this chocolate belongs to Judith. Yeah. And Paulina steals it. Okay. And I'm the only witness that Paulina has stolen Beverly's chocolate. And then she comes to announce to all of you that I come to announce to all of you that Paulina has stolen Beverly's chocolates. But then Beverly is saying that I've not stolen anything. Who will you believe? So the chocolate in Paulina's hand belongs to Beverly. And Paulina stole it. And I'm the only one who saw that Paulina stole Beverly's chocolate. And I come and tell the whole town that Paulina has stolen Beverly's chocolate. And Beverly, the owner of the chocolate, says that I didn't steal anything. Who will you believe? If no one else saw, only Paulina. I'll believe you. You. Believe me. Are you sure? <laughs> Who will you believe? I'll, I'll believe. I'll believe in you. Believe me. Hey, the owner of the chocolate is saying that Paulina didn't steal anything. And none of you saw it, but you believe me who is saying that Paulina has stolen. You didn't understand the question. The chocolate is for her. She has stolen it. Me, I saw her stealing it. And I come and say that Paulina has stolen Beverly's chocolate. I'm the only one who saw Paulina doing the act. But Beverly is saying, Beverly is the owner of the chocolate, and she says that I didn't steal anything. Who will you believe? Who you believe? Who you believe? You believe Beverly. So assuming there's no evidence, but you believe Beverly because well, she's the supposed owner of the chocolate. And if the owner of the thing says nothing was stolen, 
Who are you to sell the person that it's my chocolate? I said they didn't steal it. Why is it by force? No. Yes, peace enough. Thank you. In the same way, the devil comes to condemn you. Oh, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. Oh, this was your life. Oh, you didn't do this. But then God is the one who is saying you're righteous. So who is the devil to condemn you? When those voices come into your mind, which one do you listen to? The spirit of God or the spirit of the devil? And can you clearly discern, discern the spirit of God that when those two voices are rising up, telling you different things, you can clearly see that this is the spirit of God and this is what I believe. So another scripture, I didn't come here, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And the meaning of strongholds there is talking about mind. Yes, mind. Because the battlefield is not physical, it's mental. If you lose the battle in your mind, you've lost it before you even go out. If you go to an exam hall thinking that you feel the paper, then by the time you go there and come out, you failed. If you live with a defeated mindset, if you believe in a a mindset that you are nothing to God or you can never grow in Christ, then that's exactly who you'll be. If you limit yourself to a certain level, that is where you'll stay for the rest of your life. God says that he has made you righteous. Who can condemn you? If you don't condemn yourself, the devil can never tell you anything that will shake you. So hold firm to that foundation that you have. Amen. Please continue. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, ye rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is certain, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. So the second word I want you to hang in your mind. Please, what was the first word? So this is the second one, love. Please continue. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. So please, verse 38 again. For I persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. You can separate us from the love. Nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. So the third word I want to hang in your mind, that is not directly mentioned, but it's implied, is faith. How are you convinced that God died for you when you never saw him. It was in the past, but you believe it and you hold firmly onto it. So those are the three words. So now I found the scripture I was looking for. 1 Corinthians 2.11. 1 
For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. You can't know God without his spirit. Amen. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 also repeats these three words. It says, And these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these three is love. So the vision that this house is running with is build. Build. Creating capacity for revival. Build in faith, hope, and love. And build to be revived for signs and wonders. And the reason why I wanted to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit is because none of these things can be done without him. You cannot be revived. There's no revival without the Holy Spirit. You can't go in faith and hope and love without the Holy Spirit. The scripture she just read from 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11 said, who can know the things of, of God except the Spirit of God? So if you are reading the, God, the, reading the word of God, it is the Spirit of God who gives you understanding. Otherwise, you are just reading it. You are not, you are not getting anything from it. It is the Spirit of God who reveals it to you to make it applicable to you. Amen. And without the Spirit revealing it to you, you also can't get hope because hope too is found in the word. Amen. And how can you grow in love without the spirit of love? So it's caused this to mind. I throw a question to you all. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? And if you do, how well? Or if you think, oh, you can speak in tongues. And occasionally, as the opportunities come out, you can cast out demons. I'm telling you that it's not enough. We can never fully know this God we serve. There are always greater dimensions and deeper levels than we can go into. But then, we've put a limit on ourselves. We've decided to remain container B. Forgetting that we too can become container A. And we can even go to a bigger container, container C. And we can go and go and go and go and go until the day we join Christ. And if we do not desire that capacity, then God can fill us with revival. The Azusa Street revival that we hear so much about, it started in the church. And the people were praying. Before it went out onto the streets to to touch other people. The people inside there were praying. If they didn't have the capacity, maybe they would have given up after one hour or two hours. But the Spirit of God was in them. That is why they could continue. And that's why it could spread. You can't fake a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you can't be a stagnant Christian. If you didn't know this, I'm telling you now, you can't be a stagnant Christian. It's either you go or you fall back. There are seasons that nothing happens. Okay, that's maybe when the seed is planted into the ground. Before it first shoots up, it grows a little bit of wheat before it comes out. So yes, there are seasons that it may seem that nothing is happening. That's not the same as stagnation. That one you are going underground, but you may not know it, but that's not the same as stagnation. 
But if you are stagnating as a Christian, you know it. Because the sign that you are stagnating is that you start falling behind. And COVID, or the period we were at home that went going to church, came to show that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, talks about the, ho the house that was built on the rock and the house that was built on sand. Is anyone there can read the scripture for me? Matthew 7, 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Amen. Amen. So once again, the foundation is Christ. Without Christ, we wouldn't be sitting here today. So I can't, I don't know a spiritual life. Only God knows. Only God knows it. But I believe that it's Christ who brought us all here first. He is the foundation. He is the foundation. But then, let me give you an example of three houses. One, you can't see the foundation of a house. So I'm just telling you, okay. A foundation of a house is strong, but it's just at the foundation of it's just at the foundation level. Another house, it has a foundation, it's weak, but it's, it's a beautiful building. It's grown, it's beautiful, it's glistening. Then a third building also has a solid foundation, but then it has a firm building standing on top of it. Which of these three will you choose? The one that has a firm foundation and it has been built upon true or false. In the same way, we have Christ, but then it does not just end there. There are so many gifts and so many dimensions of God that we are yet to discover that all our lives will be the better for. So I'm ending today with a simple question I want you to ponder over. And find the answers for yourself. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Thank you.